Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Go to Matthew. We'll get there in a second. I've got some things I want to share. We're continuing our series. If you haven't been with us, it's called Practicing the Way of Jesus. And we've said that we're over the next year plus, we're looking at um, becoming apprentices or disciples of Jesus. We're calling it practicing the way of Jesus. It's more than believing the right things about God. Um, Jesus came to, to show you how to live here and now. And so we've defined an apprentice as someone who orders their life around three goals. You want to learn how to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. Be with him, become like him, and do what he did. And so over the next year plus, we're going to look at ways we learn to be with him through through spiritual disciplines, become like him. This is what this mini-series, we're talking about how do we actually change to become like him. Um, And then we'll talk more about the things that he did and doing those things. Things like, you know, raising the dead, casting out demons, stuff like that, which we want to be accountable to. All of us keeping track of all the people that we raised the dead. Right? So that's... uh, like, we, we want to be accountable to those things, too. Like, doing the things that Jesus did. Preaching and teaching and healing the sick. Um, and I'm not joking when I say those things. I actually feel like it would be really cool if we have, in our lifetime, um, I was joking in the first service, and then I was like, I can't joke about this. This is, has to be true. Like, as we go after the injustice in our city, as we go after the brokenness, like, there should be no kids in the foster system in Long Beach, period. But also, I wonder if, like, the hospitals, they're packed with flu patients. I wonder if the disciples of Jesus in the city would be trained to where that just decreases, sickness decreases. Wouldn't that be awesome? Have you ever thought about that? Like, the imagination of what would happen if we set all the followers of Jesus free to do the things that he did. Like, Memorial Hospital just goes out of work. Sorry for all you nurses and doctors. Like, I, I, I'm, being, I'm being playful, but in all, in all seriousness, this is, this is the reality, is that we are commissioned to bring the ministry of Jesus wherever we go. And we need to have a greater imagination for what's possible, okay? And, and so this series is about activating that, but also um, I, I realize as we've been talking about um, how we change, there's been a, this, it's, it's going to be a really uh, intense teaching, and, and that we've been teaching on deep things, and and one of the things I realize is as we talk about Jesus and becoming like Christ, we're calling it spiritual transformation, is the process of becoming like Christ or sanctification, which is a boring church word, but it's really important. Um, what, I'm re- what I realize is this series actually is simply about this, you becoming fully alive. Yes. <laughs> that the more you become like Jesus, the more you become your true self. So this long process of partnering with God in your own transformation, this spiritual formation, is re- and ch- change over a lifetime, is you becoming the person you were intended to be in the first place. Uh, you becoming a person who thrives and flourishes with your personality, with your talents, with your education, with your gifts, with your relationships, with the workplace, with all those things about you. Because God doesn't want to make you a robot. He wants to set you loose into this world. Right? And so that's what this is about. And how does that happen? Well, we've been talking about that. The question then is, how do we change? If we want to become more like Jesus, how, is, how do we change as people? And we know that change is hard. And so we have this slide. This is what we're working through over the next several weeks. It's the, our process of intentional spiritual formation. An intentional spiritual formation um, is this. We are learning to replace um, false narratives with true biblical teaching. <laughs> 
So we all carry false narratives. I talked about this last week. We all carry uh, views of, of how the world works. Um, and we need to learn that actually transformation begins with the renewal of our minds. Uh, uh, an imagination for what's possible. And this is what repentance is about, is a reimagining life around the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. Reordering our life in that direction. So transformation begins with the renewal of our minds. So we replace false narratives, false teaching with true biblical teaching, Jesus narratives. And then we replace habits, unintentional habits that are shaping us um, with Jesus practices or spiritual disciplines. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's not enough to talk about information because information doesn't bring transformation. We can't think our way into Christ-likeness. There's more. So there's practices, and then there's community. We move from casual relationships or friendships via social media to meaningful covenantal community. That disciples, you, spiritual formation, the context for spiritual formation is found in meaningful community, covenantal community where we walk with each other over a long period of time. Next week, we're talking about that. The following week, we'll talk about this. Um, thank you for changing the slide, Seth. Um, the, we move from being shaped by the environment, the people we are around, social media, the internet world, to being shaped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes the environment for which we experience transformation. All of this happens over a long period of time. Okay, so for the rest of our life and for the rest of eternity, we will be growing and being transformed more and more into Christ-likeness. Even after we die, I believe, what scriptures teach is that we're going to continue to grow because the, uh, the age to come, the, the kingdom of God, um, the new heaven and new earth is dynamic. It's not static. It's not going to be like, all right, the heaven comes to earth and we know everything. We're perfect in all the ways. Uh, we will be made perfect in the image of Christ. But from there, I think we'll keep growing. And that image, by the way, of like revelation of worshiping in the setting like this for eternity Holy, holy is a beautiful image. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was it and is and is to come. Everyone, anyone else know what I'm talking about? Like, they, like I've been taught that worship, eternity is going to be worshiping God where we're doing this for the rest of eternity. And every time I heard that, I'm like, that sounds a little more like hell to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to say that to be offensive. The scriptures teach this image, but the idea of it is accurate. Everything we do when, when heaven comes to earth and we have physical bodies, everything we'll be, we do will be worshiping. Everything will be worshipped and we'll be communing with each other and we'll be communing with God and we'll be growing and we'll eat food, I believe. I think that's what the scriptures teach because this is what God intended. And so the question is, how do we start to live in that reality here and now? And there are things warring against that in you. And we know about that. It's the flesh and it's things of the enemy. So we're talking about how do we become more like Jesus. That's all review. You're welcome for all you newbies. Um, and now let's jump in, okay? So Matthew chapter 7. Um, we said last week you can't think your way into Christ-likeness. It's not enough to have the right knowledge. The right knowledge won't bring transformation because knowing something is not the same thing as doing something. And it's not the same thing as wanting to do it, Right? Um, last week we talked about the gap that we all have. We all have a gap from what we know and, um, and what we want to do and who we are and who we want to be. And so how, why is change so hard and how do we change? This is what we're playing with. And last week I shared the story of the philosopher James K.A. Smith who tells this story of getting into the slow food movement with his wife. 
They were, they were going to build a, a, a garden and plant uh, vegetables and, and cook slow and, and learn to live off the land and do this thing. And he's reading this book in that moment, dreaming of this with his wife and highlighting and writing. And then he looks up and he realizes he's eating a hot dog at the Costco food court. The antithesis of everything he was reading. And so, um, and, and, and he says, the reason it's so hard to change is because we still love hot dogs so much. Isn't it true? So how do we change if it's not just about information? Well, the answer is it's about practice. So Matthew 7. We get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at verse 24. I love hearing Bibles turn. Thank you. 11.15, way louder than first service. Great job. Um, it says this. So get to the end of this epic Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock, the Rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and, uh, and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and, puts, puts, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." So Jesus ties together right here um, the, the need that for teaching to move into practice. It's not enough to listen and hear and know the things that Jesus says or speaks or, or taught, but it has to move and be integrated into practice in our lives. And he says this all over the place. It's not just in the Sermon on the Mount. You read about it in Luke. He says, uh, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts, in, puts it into practice, Luke chapter 8. And then John chapter 13, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So there's a direct correlation between the things Jesus teaches and the things we do. Go to James chapter one. I'm getting a head start. James chapter one. James chapter one says this, um, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Over and over again and all throughout the New Testament, there is this language of discipline, of practice, of training. Probably one of the most famous passages is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So go there real quick. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do, I'll wait for you. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. You guys are good. You're getting a little test today on your Bible knowledge. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Anyone know that song? Acts, Romans, verse just a few of us, huh? It's crazy, these little things that I learned as a kid that are so helpful these days. It says this, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get the crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, or other translations is I, I discipline my body 
and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the metaphor that Paul uses over and over again. It's what Jesus talks about. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus is like to be an athlete in training. We're like runners running a race, boxing, boxers in a fight, which is very contextual to, to Corinth in the first century. And notice what it says at the top of the Bible, or the passage right there. The need for self-discipline. Discipline has a central role in every disciple's life. If you want to be a disciple, you are a person of discipline. When we talk about discipline, when we talk about practice, when we talk about training, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. This is what Paul's getting after, that we are training, we are practicing the ways of Jesus. And we're going to use the, this language kind of all, we're going to use this both spiritual disciplines and practices. I don't like spiritual disciplines, that phrase, for a few reasons. One, spiritual assumes that something's not spiritual and everything is spiritual. Spiritual for most people mean an embodied person. So what Paul will get after though is that actually the body is the focal point for your relationship to God. In other words, it's the battleground between things of the flesh, things that are opposing God's way of life, and things of the spirit. And for Paul, discipleship to, do, to Jesus has something to do with your body. So our body matters. So when we call something spiritual, it's assuming it's not connected to your body, but it is connected to your body. And discipline has a negative connotation to it. So we're talking about practices of Jesus. Now before I talk about that real quick, let me just say this. I want you to know right away that when we talk about practices, spiritual disciplines, becoming more like Jesus, what you have to know as a foundation is this, that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. That you don't have to actually even step into faith to, to know that reality, that no matter who you are on this planet, if you worship another God, you need to know that the God of Scripture is the true, one true living God who has come onto earth as Jesus Christ, who died on a cross and is raised from the dead, who gives us his inspired word, who is currently reigning over the cosmos, loves you just as you are, not as you should be. And that entering into faith is not you recognizing God, it's actually accepting his love for your life. So as you come into faith, you begin with accepting this new reality. He loves you just as you are, not as you should be. Even if you become a saint like Mother Teresa or Francis of Assisi at your life, you give all your money to the poor, if you fast for 40 days, if you do all these amazing things, God's going to love you the same right now if you don't do those things, as if you don't or if you do. It doesn't matter. So his love is not conditioned on what you do. You with me? With that, his desire for you is for you to fully live. And that means you do need to change. And his desire is for you to flourish as a human and to learn to live the way you were intended to be, the way you were intended to live. So that means change is part of this process. So you don't have to, but if anyone here like me wants to change, anyone want to change something in your life? Yeah, okay, I thought there was a few of us. Um, then then we, need to, we need to discipline ourselves into Christ-likeness. You with me? So practices, when we talk about practices, there's three different categories. There are different practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus. So things that Jesus lived and did, habits like Sabbath, silence and solitude, simplicity, fasting. These are things that Jesus incorporated in his life. Things like um, the practices based on the teachings of Jesus. So Jesus um, taught things like do not worry. We should practice that sometime. Anyone want to practice that and learn how to not experience worry and anxiety? Practice things like loving your enemy. It's a good one. 
And you might not have an enemy threatening you with persecution, but you might have a coworker who gets on your nerves. And maybe it's trying, trying to bless them and love them like Christ loves you. Uh, there are also practices based on the ministry and mission of Jesus. And I already mentioned those things that he did in ministry, preaching the gospel, teaching the way, healing the sick, casting out demons. All of these things are different categories for us to learn and practice and incorporate into our life. So here's a definition for spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. So here's a list. So our goal is to do these things that are very unnatural at first to help us to become more like Jesus because he did these things. Here's a, a list, and there's, there's a long list. And none of these, there's not like this official list. So these are, this is an unofficial list. Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, readings, memorizing the Bible, living in community, Sabbath, Sunday gathering. I believe Sunday worship gathering is a discipline for lots of us. Most of us, like, especially if you're introverted, this is the last place you want to show up. That three minutes of fellowship is the worst thing of your week. <laughs> right? But this is, this is a, a spiritual practice, being a part of a worshiping community where the truth of God is being proclaimed in worship, where we're disciplining ourselves to care for each other's needs. How cool is that? Where the word is being preached week in and week out. Um, it's for some of you, you know that this is the place that recalibrates your head, heart, and mind. Head, heart, and hands. Um, so this is a discipline, and I, I don't always think it's, it's something that is just an event. It's not an event. It's not something that you can just check in. It's not a movie. It's not entertainment. This is where the body of Christ comes together to remind ourselves who we are and who God is. Um, other disciplines, communion, look at this, teaching, serving, simplicity, celebration, grieving, repentance, secrecy, gratitude. Do we have any more? Okay, there's a bunch. I'm doing the discipline of slowing this year. I told you about the unhurried pursuit. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. I've done a lot of fasting. I've done silence and solitude, not speaking for a while. This is the hardest thing, slowing down. I've been hardwired to be efficient. So I'm doing disciplines that are very unnatural to, to produce something that I see in Jesus. Now, I think it's going to take a lifetime because um, Jesus didn't have the technology that I have access to. Um, so anyways, okay, so uh, let me talk about this. A discipline, though, is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. Okay, so that's what a general discipline. So push-ups, right? I do push-ups. Maybe you can't do like 100, but you start with 10. Or like, for example, I want to run the Long Beach Marathon this year. That's one of my goals. I put that down. Now I'm saying it. Hopefully I don't back out. But I want to run. Anyone run a marathon here? Anyone? Who's run, who's run a marathon? Raise your hands proudly. Yeah, okay. So tell me if I'm wrong. So here's, here's the deal. Yesterday I did a seven-mile run. I've been running for a while. I cannot physically through my own strength and effort, run a marathon right now. If you said Saturday, you got to do it, there's no possible way. Why? How do I know that? Well, yesterday, my hip was cramping at like mile five. And I'm so sore today, I was like, I'm going to sit down the entire time. I can't walk. But if I want to run a marathon in October, what do I do? Well, I start like I am now. I ran seven miles. So guess what I'm going to do this week? This week, I'm going to run like three miles and then a five-mile run and then like a four-mile run, days off in between. And then on next Saturday, I'm going to shoot for 7.5 miles. And then the next week, the long run will increase by a mile, 8.5. And then, and then it'll be nine. And then it'll be 10. And then 11. And eventually, I'll get to, what is it, 26.2 miles? 
Maybe I won't do a marathon. Maybe I'll do something else. No. <laughs> but how do you get there? You do it by training, practice. This is what it looks like for us in the kingdom of God. So a spiritual discipline, so a discipline is a way, of, a way to access power. A spiritual discipline is an activity that will help you access the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean like, oh, you fast and you have more Holy Spirit. That's not what's going on here. But you're learning to cooperate with God. Check this out. This is Dallas Willard. And it wouldn't be a sermon on disciplines without Dallas Willard. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. Wow. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. Check this out. As we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and our members as instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 puts it. So spiritual disciplines are new habits, new practices in our lives that we integrate, that Jesus did, that enable us to partner with the Holy Spirit in our own transformation and change. That's what they're for. So if you want to experience transformation, you need to practice the lifestyle and life practices of Jesus. This is how we partner with God. God is not against effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, Dallas Willard says. Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. And so spiritual disciplines are non-negotiables for us that want to become more like Jesus because um, we need to recognize this, that the things we do do something to us. The things we do in our ordinary life, the simple habits we have, do something to us. And so spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines are counter-formational habits to the habits we already have, already doing something in us. Does, does this make sense? Do you want me to clarify this? We can just do that. Do you need a little more clarity on this? Are we okay? So we're all being shaped by things we do, whether we know it or not, our regular daily habits. And the spiritual disciplines become counter-practices to those things that are not helpful in our Christ-likeness. We'll talk specifically about that in a second. But check out Ephesians. Let me just give you one more example in the scripture. Paul becomes so practical in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Great teaching on instructions for Christian living. He says this, verse 22 of chapter 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. So renew your minds. And so he talks about transformation of mind, but look what he says next. And to put on the new self, put off the old, put on the new, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now that, that's, there's a lot of Christian words there, so you, you don't have to know what he's saying necessarily, but in, in essence he's saying you, before Christ you lived by the desires of the flesh, the deceitful desires that waged war. Now we could talk about sin, that's sin. So we desired things, we wanted to lie, we wanted to cheat, we wanted to uh, uh, have sex, we wanted to do all these things with other people. And when we come to faith, we learn to actually, in Jesus, to, to put on this new reality which is being made in Christ's likeness. Now, right away, when we first come to faith, there, for most of us, there's a lot of behaviors that need to change. Would you agree? Like, I had to stop partying, like, all the time when I became a Christian. Because literally, I organized my calendar, my week around 
uh, parties at different fraternities at UCSB and, and kegs. Like I, I literally, I joined the Jewish fraternity um, club. It was not the fraternity, the club to go to their Friday night kegger. Like that's like, and then I was, I, I went on the ski and snowboard club because uh, even though I never skied or snowboarded in my entire life because they had alcohol. So I had to stop that behavior. It's that simple. I became a Christian. I'm like, that's an obvious one, right? Are you with me? Does it, and maybe that's not obvious for you. It is, it, that's, that's a problem, okay? If you're like that, that, there's an issue. There are other things we do that are shaping us. And Paul's saying, so, and he lists them. Look at what he says. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So stop gossiping. Stop over-exaggerating. Stop making yourself look better to everyone else. Stop curating these beautiful posts even though your marriage is falling apart. Speak truthfully to each other. So stop doing this and do that. It's that simple. Isn't that interesting? Um, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. This one, I, I, super, I got convicted in the last service reading this. I was like, gosh, that's so true. Because this is, like, what's he saying? Do not sin in anger. Because anger, it's okay to be angry. It's an emotion that is helpful. It's designed for things like injustice. Um, but we're supposed to use our anger appropriately, right? But what we don't do is use it appropriately in the kingdom of God lately, right? Especially right now, especially with how heated things are, politically speaking, um, and so what we have to do is learn to use our anger appropriately. And he's saying, so don't sin in anger and don't, don't, don't let the sun go down. And what he's saying is, brothers and sisters, when you don't deal with your anger, uh, it turns to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness is a foothold that the devil has in your life, in any relationship. That becomes a seed that grows and becomes a forest in your life. And it will affect every relationship if you are harboring any unforgiveness in your life. Um, this is just all free, by the way. Anyone who has, I love this one. This is the last one I'll share. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So all of you thieves, cut it out, church. <laughs> but look at what he does. Stop stealing. That's the, the ethical, moral challenge, right? So we're going to stop this behavior. But then he gives us the practice, the alternative habit. Um. No longer, uh, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Yeah. So if you were doing this, stop doing this, take on this new habit so that you can do this. Are you with me? This is powerful. I feel like this alone will give us so many helpful instructions. Now, why is this so important? Let me share this. We are little more than the uh, cumulative effect of our daily and weekly habits. Because what we do on a regular basis, we become. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming through your regular daily habits? What kind of person is being built through the constant checking of emails? What kind of person is being uh, demonstrated to the world through the, the dopamine rush that you get with every like? What kind of person are you becoming when uh, you are a compulsive shopper? What is that doing to you? Because those habits are shaping you. Are you become, you're becoming those things. And here's, here's why it's more important to talk about the habits. 
our habits as followers of Jesus or practices, all habits and all practices of Jesus get into us. And they don't get into us through our prefrontal cortex, our thinking. They get through us in our limbic system. What does that mean? Not through our mind and imagination. They get through us where the writers call the heart. Disciplines, habits get into us through our heart. Practices are counter-formational habits. And so we want to counter-form our lives from the things that we're doing unintentionally to things that are intentional. Our vision is Christ-likeness. There are things we do on a regular basis that are keeping us from Christ-likeness. And they're so small and obvious. So let me give you an example. So I believe that micro-disciplines have macro-impact. So um, if you're, I want to just do a PG-13 moment in just a second. So I'm going to talk about something, and then we're going to talk about the PG-13 thing. So if you have little ones here that you don't want to explain those conversations, feel free to leave. No big deal. Um, so the odds are, if they're like nine and up, they already know about it, uh, unfortunately. So uh, practices. Here's the vision I have for my life. I want to be a loving, present, amazing, out-of-this-world father to my sons. Since I became a dad, I realized I had to work out some of my own issues as a, uh, with my father, and I have this passion to be um, just an incredible father. Now, I know that's not going to happen because I buy gifts. That's not going to happen because I take them on trips once in a while or I show up to the big events. It's only going to happen. I know. I know. I know it's going to happen because of regular, everyday moments with my sons and the intentionality. Now, a few years ago, I realized that there was one habit that was hindering this epic vision is my phone. I was hanging out with Ezra, and I would be checking out on Instagram. Hanging out with Ezra, he'd be doing something in the tree, uh, playing outside, and then I'd be, uh, I'd be checking emails and work. And then my, my ability to be present to his world was now distracted by the infinity that was in my phone. Someone call me, someone text me. And so I realized that this, this little thing of always being on, always being on my phone, was hindering this, this great epic vision that I longed to be. And I knew that I had to do something. So I, I did this micro habit of putting my phone away when I'd hang out with my son. When I come home, I put it somewhere else. That way, I'm not distracted by the infinite world that is my phone. And I re- I've seen the change. When Ezra was like two and a half, he said, when we would play, Daddy, don't bring your phone. What is that? How is that? He would know. Now he doesn't ever have to say that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm way less distracted because of that discipline. Took emails off my phone. Took Instagram. I'm off social media. Recently, I felt like the Lord was saying in November, he said, just escape from social media altogether. I can't, because it was doing harmful things to my life. And so I don't know if Jesus would be on Instagram or Facebook. I don't think you, you should ever ask what would Jesus post. I don't think he would be present to that world. He'd be present <laughs> to this world. I mean, I, I seriousness. And then people are like, well, what about the platform? Think about Jesus' method. Don't tell anyone about this. Yeah. But we broadcast everything like the food we had this morning. And he's saying, like, to the guy who's cleansed from leprosy and healed from paralysis, just, hey, keep it between us, okay? Because the kingdom of God doesn't, doesn't work like the world. It works different. It grows and it moves over a long period of time. Let it take root like soil and good. So let it produce the crop so that 10 years from now, you're doing it for all the other paralytics. <clears throat> but we just want to post this little tiny success. So these micro habits, that's a little side note. These micro habits 
have macro impact. But let's talk even deeper. Let's go deeper, okay? Let's go, let's go further. Because some of us, um, uh, it's identity issues. What are habits you can adopt? What are habits that are not helping you with your identity? Instagram, those magazines, they're not going to help you. Buying those magazines, reading those stories online, following the, the feed on Facebook that leads you down this path to where you're looking at people that, have, that are absolutely more beautiful than you uh, in swimsuits because they posted these pictures that have been like liposuctioned out through Photoshop. That's not going to help you, ladies, thinking that you're the most beloved child of God. So you got to resist that and over a long period of time, reject that, put on the new narratives, live in true beauty. Beauty has nothing to do with, with what size you are. The saddest thing is when somebody, somebody's like, um, uh, so am I fat? No, uh, no, you're beautiful. I hear that line. That's horrible. It's horrible to say, someone asks, do I look fat in this? No, you look beautiful. That's a terrible, there is, you, you don't have to be a certain size to be beautiful. But we're living in these narratives and we just feed ourselves with these habits and we need to break them. How else are you going to stand on dry ground with people drowning in self-hatred and pull them out? That's your task, ladies. It's horrible. Talk about the, now PG-13. Talk about the over-sexualized culture we live in. That the Me Too movement is here. Time's up. And thank God that people that have been voiceless are now being able to rise and be heard, that there should be equality across the board. And it's, it's, it's crazy that it's, it, I mean, it's obviously been in the church, it's been abused in the church, but we should be championing this, that where there are people with power silencing the masses, we need to reject that. We need to, we need to protest that. Protestantism, we are, we're founded on protest. Religious freedom, the word of God, and hearing his voice. This is so amazing. Brothers in the room, 93% of us have issues with pornography. Pornography is 93% are, are, are looking at porn. In the church and outside of the church. Something like 70 are addicted to pornography. Now, let me just say, if you've been told that it's a guy thing and you'll always have it, that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie the culture has told. Do you know scientific, there's facts in this, that when smoking, that we found out smoking was bad and harmful to our health, that the uh, tobacco companies came out with this agenda, this narrative that said quitting cigarette smoking is hard. Do you know it was invented by the tobacco companies? That quitting the smoking is hard. They, they made that narrative. Isn't that crazy? Brothers and sisters, you can live a life without lust. You don't have to be addicted to pornography. You don't have to f f find ways to self-gratify outside of covenantal marriage with your spouse. You might not ever have a spouse, and you can live without that uh, sin in your life. You can have freedom completely in Jesus Christ. That is the great vision. It might start right now by believing a new mindset, having a renewed mind, saying that is possible in my life. The very next thing might be, you know what, I'm going to put some, some guardrails on my internet browser and get accountability software. And that's like a breadcrumb forward to wholeness, right? Because I know that the link that pops up takes me down this path. It might be like some of my other brothers in this room have uh, not brought their laptops into their apartment when they were single because they knew when they closed the door, when no one was around, that would be a temptation for them no matter what. It might be in your dating relationship that you are never alone past a certain time. This is what Alex and I had to do when we were dating. 
We, we were both virgin when we got married, virgins, which is so rare for Christians these days, and it breaks my heart. And some of you, that's, uh, th there's freedom to be set free from that shame that the Christian church has placed on you for already breaking that. But <clears throat> we set crazy boundaries over our lives, like we wouldn't be together past a certain time at night, we would alone, ever, because we didn't want to stumble and, and, and lose something for our marriage. Now, brothers, we can keep going. You can get to the point where you don't have access to internet. These are guardrails. The goal is not the discipline. The goal is not the practice. The goal is a heart completely transformed for something else. The goal is to have a heart transformed for something else. And this is what we're after. Because our heart the direction, is the direction of our love. And that is an engine that drives us towards the vision of life. Here's one, one way that James K. Smith talks about it. He says this. Because we are what we want, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. The scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 4.23. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than knowing and, and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. In other words, our primary task as disciples or apprentices of Jesus is to learn to curate our hearts, to point our love and longings in the right direction. The problem isn't that we don't love, it's that we love the wrong things. And our heart is prone to wander. It's so easy to wander today. The, the goal is to recalibrate our hearts and this is why teaching and practice go hand in hand. Teaching is aimed at the mind, a vision of the good life. Practices, is, our practices are aimed at the heart because our habits give shape to our desire. Our habits give shape to our desire. Think of shopping. You buy a new shirt. You, don't, you, you might be satisfied for like five minutes, but then you want new jeans, right? Right? Am I right? Like if you ever, like has anyone bought a lamp and then bought a new sofa and a rug because the lamp was perfect? <laughs> I remember having this conversation before my wife and I pursued simplicity and minimalism. Like she bought this rug. She's like, it doesn't go with the couch. We've got to get a new couch. I was like, what? Like, wait, time out. What? what? Like, and then she like tried to educate me on the way of house. And I was like, that's not the right way. That's the way of empire. She bought into it later. She realized it. And, and that's why we sold our house and, and moved because we, our hearts uh, were attached to a different type of comfort. Um, but it doesn't start with selling your house. It starts with your clothes, your closet, your shoes, and then your, your home, and then your room. And then, and then it just moves down your digital life, your library of books. And then eventually it's like, well, I have to put everything on the table. Everything is, is part of this process of discipleship. Um, so the shopping thing, though, is so interesting because the more we do it, the more we want to shop, the more discontent we really are. It's like putting gasoline on top of a fire, hoping, hoping we'll put it out. But it's with everything. 
The more you eat certain kind of food, the more you want that food. The more you watch a show on Netflix, the more you become a binge watcher. Do you, I read this article. Do you know that? It's so, like, this is what we're living in. Netflix CEO says, was asked this question. Do you find it threatening that HBO and Amazon Prime are starting to come into the market that you're in? He's like, no, the market is so vast. They're not our competition. Our competition is sleep. That's what we're dealing with, right? And now you get it. The things that we do on a regular basis shape who we are becoming and do something to us. So here's what I invite you. I'm going to land with this practice and then one more thing to close, and then we'll worship and pray. You guys doing all right? Okay. So we got some good worship in. Check that off the box, off the list this morning. You guys came to serve. Some of you got some needs provided. Put that off the list. That's God's reality for you. He loves you so much. He's generous. So I don't have to talk about generosity. We have to demonstrate it to each other. Amazing. We're talking about becoming more like Jesus, setting people free, having the good life, the life that we are intended to live. Here's one thing that you can do today. All those spiritual disciplines, you should be integrating them into your life. Not all at once. You just fail dramatically. Um, But this is called the liturgical audit. So this is by James K. Smith. I want you to write it down. It's the liturgical audit. And I I do this regularly every year. Um, And I'll tell you what mine is because I I feel like I keep beating up against it. And at some point I need to pull away. Um, Take an inventory, number one, take an inventory of the rhythms and routines and rituals that make up your life. So just look at your life objectively. Say, what are the things that are um, occupying your habits, you know, it could be like, oh, every day I make coffee. Every day I'm on my phone first thing in the morning. I, actually, the first thing I do is get on my phone and refresh my email thing. First thing I do is get on my phone and look at my Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat, and then I look at my emails, and then I look at whatever else, my, my, whatever thing you have. I don't know what else you have. There's other things out there. Um, what are those habits that you have? So take, make a list all the things you do regularly, number two. Then three, see if you can figure out what they are doing to you, specifically to your heart. Is it Instagram causing you to be more of someone who's full of comparison and longing to be somebody who you're not, creating discontent? Are you trying to buy different things, wear certain things based on Instagram? Are you comparing yourself to the success you you have in life and the age you are based on the friends that you have are posting things in different places. Like, I don't know if you struggle with this, but like people that are in the same industry as you, who you went to college with, or people that are like, I don't know, 33-year-old lead pastors of other churches that write books, and you're like, I haven't written a book yet, and they have these, all these followers, and it does something to you. Does, I, maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's not crazy. This is what happens. We do it over a long period of time. And it's not just, and I keep hitting up social media, but it's everything. It's alcohol. It's food. Like, we comfort ourselves through food, and we don't realize what these little tiny habits are doing. Um, Four, identify one and cut it out. So um, I cut out social media for the last couple months. It's been amazing. All these things have happened since I've done social media. Surprise, I'm more present to my family by cutting out social media. Surprise, um, I actually, the biggest surprise, I'm hungering and longing for more of Jesus. That sounds very Christian-y, very pastoral, but it's true. Because I have all this time, this, just this week I had a meeting in Costa Mesa and I had this gap between two things I was doing and I couldn't scroll through social media. I didn't have my, my computer, so I couldn't work. I'm like, all right, God, what the heck do you want me to do? And sure enough, 
I, I listened to him and I was able to minister to somebody that I, would, I, had, I scheduled this meeting as a result and got to bless this guy because I listened to the Holy Spirit rather than what I would have done is just done this. It's just a small thing. Um, I feel like right now the thing that I'm supposed to do is for a short season, uh, very, very short season, just give up TV altogether. I don't have a TV, but I watch a lot of good shows. This Is Us is back on. This Is Us, anyone? Anyone? This is the best show on television right now. I'm not going to say what happened if you missed the episode. But let's just say that I love the show because it deals with real reality. It's so good. It dealt with racism. It deals with adoption. It deals with the foster system. It deals with uh, family system dynamics. It, feels, it deals with addiction. It's an amazing show. Great writing, great acting. There you go. It's free for you. Um, but, but I'm giving up TV for a while, so there you go. Um, what is it that you're supposed to do? Give it up for a season. Here's why. Um, because the things we do shape the things we love, shape the, our, our heart. And I, like, I feel like a broken record. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so I know that you want the life of Jesus. You want a life animated by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, then you need to become uh, disciplined and train yourself towards the things that are true and good and honorable. And so um, every person in my life that I, I, has been a mentor, whether it's like dead or alive, like Paul, the Apostle Paul, Dallas Willard, or some of my living mentors like Bill Doctrum and and, and Francis Chan, these other people in my life, um, people throughout history, what I see in their life is that they, are all, they all practice disciplines with rigor. All these mentors that I'm longing to become like, they're all disciplined in the things that they do. Paul writes this, he says, I do not run without a clear goal ahead of me. What's your goal? The message translates that verse, it's probably best for us this morning, and this is what we'll end with, is, the message translation says this, no sloppy living for me. No sloppy living for me. This is, this is the chance. This is your life. No one's ever lived your life. Ever. And if you're stuck with emotional pain and a toxic, of toxic pain and abuse from the past, you can have freedom. If you're addicted to a cycle of, of financial burden, poverty, debt, you can have freedom. If you're living in insecurity, self-hatred that's caused you to eat a certain way or not eat a certain way, you can have freedom. If you're here and you have been struggling to live a lust-free life, you can have freedom. If you're here and people have spoken over you false narratives about where you've come from and how you'll always be, you can have freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No sloppy living for us at the garden. We have a goal we're going after. Let's go for it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.